And Lord, the reality of the matter is, is that you do reign, but the question is, are you reigning within our hearts, within our lives? And I pray, Father, that even today, that we would take this opportunity so that we would know, that we would know that we are submitted to your will through your word, that we would be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And because of that, Father, we would see change come about, that it would start deep within inside of us, but it would spring forth into the lives of others. Lord, we have such an opportunity as you are seated upon the throne, as you as you conduct the affairs of our lives, I just pray, Father, that we would be obedient to your calling. So once again, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for this time, for this time of the season where they're playing our song and we have such great opportunities that we would be found faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him Merry Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, Jim. And Christmas, Andrew. Okay. Christmas is upon us. Um... We had our outreach last week, and in our outreach, our kids had a bake sale. The bake sale was designed to raise funds for the high school retreat that is coming up. The cost of the high school retreat is $135, and then we use the um, funds that we receive from the bake sale to reduce that cost for those who serve at the bake sale. Well, we raised over $800 last week for the bake sale. That was a good thing, and haven't done the exact math, but we should have gotten for those 14 kids that served the cost of the retreat down to some 70 to 80 dollars, and so that's a very good thing. Um, just the remainder of our Christmas season tonight, we're going to have our candlelight service. We'll be meeting here at six o'clock, and then tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, we'll be having our Christmas Day service. But as for now, we're back in the book of Hebrews. So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Is everybody good? Go ahead and turn it to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be picking up at verse 30. We're going to look at one verse, but one verse with a very big story. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. It's going to be real quick. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Father, just so, just such a short verse, but Lord, we need to see the great faith that was exhibited for that to happen. And I pray, Father, that as we look at what Israel was commanded to do, are we willing to do what we don't understand because we know that the command came from your mouth, Lord? I just pray that we would be found just as faithful in all areas of our lives. And so once again, as we look at this reality of faith, I pray, Father, that you would build ours, that you would strengthen ours for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. In Romans, we're told, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the Word of God. The reason that we can base our faith upon the Word of God is because God has always been found faithful. God has always been found true. Now we look at our society. What is it that we're able to depend upon in our society? Whose word can we really trust in our society today? Politicians? Well, they'll say one thing pre-election and do quite another post-election. And the thing about it is we know politicians never lie, do they? And now we've got this reality that has come upon the scene in the last few years, and you've heard about it, you've seen it, and you probably experienced well, you all have experienced it, is even fake news. You used to be able to trust people like Walter Cronkite, but nowadays you're never really sure if you're getting the accurate picture, if you're getting the whole truth. And because of that, there's instability within our nation. There's instability amongst our population. And then there's the people behind the pulpit. Even though I'm one of them, we all have to make that evaluation. I need to make that evaluation myself. If I, am, I, am I truly teaching the true Word of God? I mean, to the best of my ability. Am I given the ideas of man? Am I giving stories just to draw crowds? Well, you got the person behind the pulpit that needs to be evaluated as well. That's why I ask you, pretty much say it every Sunday, we open your Bibles to wherever you're at, and if you didn't bring a Bible today, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat, but if there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Kind of gotten used to say that. Reason is because we want you to follow along so that you know what is being said from the pulpit is the truth based upon God's Word. It's what keeps us accountable. It's what keeps us on, if you will, the straight and narrow. Because if faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, then the Word of God needs to be that which we stick to. Because faith, faith built upon anything else, is not really going to be faith. And so, if the words of man are as fallible as they are, and are not sufficient for faith that forms trust, the only option is God's Word. Now, you've probably heard already many Christmas stories. We, I gave a couple Christmas sermons last week. I did so on Thursday night. But in John, we have John's account of the Christmas story. It's in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the idea is is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father through Him. And so that's why John describes Him as the Word. He's the final Word. He's the last Word. He's the ultimate Word. And he has delivered us this word and he's confirmed this word so that we would know that we have what is sufficient for living a life that is right in the sight of our holy God. And so what we're looking at here in Hebrews chapter 11 is people that put it all out on the line. They bet the farm. They risked it all just simply based upon God's word. Now, I've been in my house since the 80s. We moved into our house in 1986. A lot has gone on, and we're pretty much established there, obviously. There's an element of security. God has blessed us with the home that we have. But what happens when you grow roots? What happens when you become comfortable and God says, you got to go? What happens when God says, it's time, it's time to move on? Are you prepared to do so? Are you willing to do so? Are you open to hear the truthfulness of God's word when it comes to the things that are hard to do? Well, each and every person in this chapter, they had to do such a thing. The Apostle Paul, 
The Apostle Paul was willing to lay it all out on the line based upon God's calling and what God has called him to do and who God called him to be because he understood, number one, the magnitude of the message, but also, number two, the magnitude of the person who has delivered the message to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verses 9-13, through 13, he says, we've become the off-scouring of the world. I, I'm, I'm willing to give it all, whatever is necessary for the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out. Why? Because he had faith that God was able to keep him. He had faith in what God had called him to do and who the God was that called him to do what he was called to do. And so because of the strength that he had in his life, he was willing to give all for Jesus. Another thing is God approaches and speaks to man here in Hebrews. Have you noticed the absence of signs and wonders? You know, as we're going through this chapter on faith, some people call it the hall of faith, as we're going through this, you don't see signs and wonders and miracles other than the miracle in God providing as God has directed. But the idea here is, is that signs and wonders, well, signs and wonders, that diminishes faith. Because faith needs to be the purity of God's call and God's word in your life. That as I hear it, as I discern it, I need to make a decision to be obedient to it. Now, I'm not always going to go, and it's something that we've seen time and time again, I'm not always going to go and get the full, full message. As, as far as what I mean is, I'm not going to get the end. I just get the next step. And I'm not even sure sometimes in what that next step should be. I'm not absolutely positively sure. But again, that's the essence of faith and moving and going without completely knowing the end result. And so, one who needs more than God's word is doubtful and faithless. When Thomas didn't believe, in John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, looking in the Old Testament context, these are the people who had yet to see the coming Messiah and the promises of God come to fruition. We're celebrating that right now as Messiah came into the world, as God Almighty. He set aside some of his godly attributes and he humbled himself and he became man. He became man for the purpose of being able to relate to mankind and he was to give his life for our sinful nature. So one last time, to make the determination in your life, are you holding fast to faith or are you slipping away? Now, what is it that most people hold fast to? We hold fast to some sort of decision that we may have made at some point in our life where we gave our heart to Jesus or whatever it might be. But the commitment that you made in raising your hand pales in comparison to the commitment that you make in living your life for Christ. It's living your life for Christ that truly displays held fast faith. Trusting in God in every instance, in every situation and circumstance in your life. Now, it's good that you made a commitment. There is that starting point in our lives. But that starting point is just to be a reference point. It is to be a starting point. I mean, if you had a race and they started the race, but they never finished the race, then what good was the race? And that's what God has called us to do. He has called us to start because we need that starting point. That's the day when I recognized Jesus Christ as Lord and I submitted my life to him. Okay, great. So what have you done since? What have you done since? We are praying. My wife usually posts it on the Internet. We're praying for our grandchildren. And we're praying that they would contend earnestly for the faith this week. She has a new subject every week. If you want to know what they are, I don't know if she posts them on the church 
Do you post them on the church site or just yours? Just her site. You, be, you can befriend my wife. You too can become a friend of Terry's. I'm a friend of Terry's and it's fun. I like it. But anyway, she posts a weekly thing that we pray for our grandchildren with a friend of hers. And this week is contending for the faith. And so you contend for the faith. And so many times we put it in speech as if I argue or I present my position to somebody else. But you know where the biggest contention is? Biggest contention is right here as I fight against the flesh, as I war against the world. That's really where I contend for my faith. I mean, you can sit here and say, Pastor Mike's the most godliest man that I've ever met in my whole life. And you can tell my wife that, and she'll laugh at you because she knows the shortcomings of Pastor Mike. She knows the humanity of Pastor Mike. And so you can say that I'm a godly man, but you really wouldn't know I'm a godly man unless you followed me around. Now, I try to be the godliest man that I can, don't get me wrong, but... You'd never know until you see a person's manner of living. And that's where the, we need to contend. That's where we need to compete. That's where we need to give it our, our all. Give it our all when there's that stumbling point and there's that opportunity or at least that point of decision that we come to. Am I going to go in that direction once again? Or am I going to forsake it this time for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? When we come to that point as we're contending for the faith, that trial and tribulation has entered in, am I going to fall to pieces one more time? Or am I going to fall into the arms of the Lord and seek Him out in the midst of this trial? It's all of these things that speak towards who it is as the Lord of our life. Did I truly have that day of faith on the day of salvation? And am I holding fast to faith or am I slipping away? Our natural, if you will, the natural man, our natural tendency is to slip away. And once again, you all know somebody who slipped away. You all know somebody that was in church. They were active in church. And you looked up to them. And you respected them. But slowly, they slipped away. And sooner or later, they were no more. It takes a lot to follow Jesus throughout a lifetime. It takes a lot to exemplify saving faith for a lifetime. It takes effort and it's hard. Anything in your life that is worth something, there's an element of difficulty to it. It demands something from you. Your Christian faith is going to demand everything from you. You're going to give of your life to it, to live it as God desires that it would be lived. And, and the only way that that's possible to do is to seek Jesus Christ out as the Lord of your life, to be immersed in God's Word and to be in prayer. See, when I played football in high school, and it was just high school football, it was just a few years, and it was just so long ago. It had impact upon my life. It taught me discipline, taught me a lot of good and valuable things. But during that football season, you were to be dedicated to the team. Now, the worst thing that you can possibly be when you're on a team sport, the coaches drilled it into our head. Does anybody know what I'm going to say? Anybody play sports and know? No. The worst thing? A quitter. A quitter. They, they, ab, absolutely no patience for a person that quit. And somebody who quit the team, he was ostracized and he was looked down upon. Far be it that in my Christian life that I would become a quitter. Far be it. I mean, I, I just look at this personally. And I, when, when my wife and I first started coming to church, she actually came to, to uh, Calvary Chapel before I did. She got saved before I did. 
I'm not that quick to jump into things. If I'm going to commit myself to this, I want to make sure that it's worthy of me committing. And not so much that it's worthy, but it's that which I'm able to embrace and make part of my life. And so I'm examining these things and I'm making determinations. And part of it was I was looking at her too. When God brought me into his kingdom though, there can be no turning back. There just can't be any turning back. Those who turn back, the Bible tells us, are not fit for the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, strengthen us. Help us to hold fast to faith that we ought not to slip away. And as I pointed out each week, if we're just staying static, if we've just become routine in our Christian life, that's the essence of slipping away. I've got to be proactive in my Christian life. When you ask Apostle Paul, hey, Paul, what's the most important, what's the one thing in a Christian's life? He said it in Philippians chapter 3. The one thing I do is forget those things of the past because the devil's always wanting to remind us of our failures of the past. And I press forward to the higher calling in Christ Jesus. So as we celebrate the birth of Christ at this time of the year, are you pressing forward? Are you reaching forward to the higher calling in Christ Jesus? That'll be defined so many different ways in each unique life that is here. But as you're sitting here right now, and you don't have to tell me, this is, question is designed for you to answer it to yourself, are you reaching forward in the higher calling in Christ Jesus? We make so many resolutions in this time of the year, well, maybe next week, we'll make so many resolutions, make the resolution to seek after the Lord. Make the resolution to push forward in your Christian life. Make the resolution to grasp on to faith that you would truly hold fast. Now, we've seen the examples, and once again, we see in verse 2 of chapter 11 here in Hebrews, it says, for by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And so these are people who have gone before that because they held fast to faith and they were obedient to God's word, that their lives were spoken of. And again, each one of these people, we could go through their lives and, and point out all of their failures. But God doesn't do that. Remember, God chooses to remember those things no more. Really, what they chose to look for or look at to exemplify are their victories in God. And we saw Abel. Abel, his example was he was worshiping. Enoch was walking. Noah was obeying. Abraham was directed. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they dealt with death according to faith in God and God's promises. Last time we met, we saw Moses' life. And, well, he made the determination when it came to the world and it came to the Lord that the Lord was truly going to be prominent in his life. So he forsook the world and sought after the Lord. Now, I put our last to determine, but it didn't turn out to be the last. I didn't get past verse 30. But nonetheless, our next one, our next example of he who held fast to faith. Well, how did Joshua and Israel hold fast to faith? Encourage. They, were, they exhibited courage. Now, in order to understand this, this is exactly what Joshua was commanded to do. Now, as the leader is being commanded, so are the people. Now, there's a unique element to Joshua's ministry. Joshua is the very first leader in the Bible, the leader of God's people, that have God's written word. God had commanded Moses to put forth into writing the things that he spoke to him, and we have the first five books of the Bible. But now that Joshua has heard those words that had to just strike fear in his heart when God told him, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he knew exactly what that meant 
you're up next. What happens when God tells you you're up next? What, what happens when the person that you've been dependent upon and person who you've clung to goes away? What happens when you've been called to come on deck and to be the leader, to be the one who stands in the gap? Now, I believe that this scared Joshua to death. Where did I get that? Well, in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 1, he's told to be strong and of good courage for this people, for to this people, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper in wherever you go. Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. He told them twice there. and He'll tell them again, be strong and courageous. Now, why do you tell somebody to be strong and courageous? Because at that point, he's realizing his weakness and his fear. He's understanding that I could always depend upon Moses. Now you look at Joshua, he's a strong guy. He achieved great victories, but he always had Moses to kind of lean to. Moses would be the guy who would really take the heat. But now it rested at his doorstep. Now he was the one who was responsible. When I was a staff minister, I didn't have to worry about who was coming to church, who wasn't coming to church, and all these things. I just had a, I was a children's minister, and I just had to be concerned with children's ministry. Then I become a pastor, and I had to be concerned about all the ministries. Why? Because the buck stops there. Have to be in prayer. Why? Because the buck stops there. And so we have to make that determination in the place that God has called us to be a leader, in a place that God has called us to be an example that we would be strong and courageous, but not strong and courageous based upon our ability, our physical strength, but strong and courageous in God. Because again, where was he directing Joshua to? I'll read the first part of verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Previously he said, don't veer off to the left and you know, don't go liberal. Don't veer off to the right. Don't become legalistic. But cut that straight path. Rightly divide the word of God. And as you rightly divide the word of God, you can have a confidence that will bring strength and courage into your Christian life. Why? Because you know that you're going according to the will of God. And the direction that God has for you is the direction that God will enable you. And so we're looking at Joshua and we're looking at the Jews as they're entering into the promised land. And again, the subject here is, is courage is to be a courageous person. Courage, this is a heart trust. Now, it can be a heart trust in your ability or whatever, but in this particular case, this is a heart trust in God, although your mind may say something different. Courage is one of those things that do not exist without its counterpart, such as light and darkness, good and evil, right and wrong. The counterpart of courage is fear. And so the only way you're going to be courageous, the only way you're going to exhibit courage is if fear first exists. Medal of Honor winners, I wrote, a, not wrote, I read a book quite a while ago on those who had won the Medal of Honor. And each and every one, those who won it in the heat of battle, said that they had to first overcome fear 
a few of them said, I've never been more afraid in all of my life. And once they were able to overcome that, they did some pretty amazing things. Now, there were people who ran away, and those people were looked at cowards, but there were some people that just did nothing. And the majority of the people just do nothing. But then there are the people who overcome the fear, and they're able to achieve that which they never thought that they would be able to achieve over insurmountable odds. I want to be part of that. I want to be a person such as that. I want to overcome my fears. Fears, fears is mostly the unknown. Fears will be how the devil intimidates you as he sets obstacles before you. But I want to be able to overcome that and do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think through the power of God that dwells inside of us. Because if God is for us, tell me, who can be against us? And polite answer is nobody, but the actual answer is just yourself. Just yourself as you allow fear to overwhelm you. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul's trying to motivate this young man, Timothy, this young pastor. He's pastoring at this point at the church of Ephesus. And he tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. When he says spirit here, he means a personality. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. You're not to allow fear to overwhelm you. What does fear usually do when it overwhelms you? It renders you inactive. You're kind of cowering in the corner. God has not given us a spirit of fear. What has he given us? Power, love, and a sound mind. He's given me love, which motivates me. He gives me power, which enables me, and a sound mind that directs me. And as I embrace these things, then I see the ability to do great things in the kingdom of God. But again, I have to overcome fear. It's imperative for the Christian to see fear as an opportunity for courage. So many in the Bible did. In God's economy, there's no position without price. You see, the cross is the example. Christ has the position of Lord over all because he has paid the price of the course. We must be courageous, stand for God, be obedient, and overcome the freeze of fear. It's been said, courage is fear that has simply said its prayers and understands who his God is. And so we must do so. We must be a people that see just as, well, we're reading Hebrews chapter 11 or studying chapter 11, we see these people, the reason God has displayed them to us, because he says, I'll do the same thing for you. I'll use you in the same way that I use these people. I mean, why? he's not just telling us good stories. He's given us lessons for life. And so just as he used Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Moses' parents, uh, Joshua and Rahab, and then later on I'll say in many others, he wants to use you in the same way. Just take that simple step of faith. You have to overcome the fear, though. You must overcome the fear. So the first example of those who held fast to faith are those who were courageous in the face of opposition. Again, verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And so, again, we have this example of Joshua as he's just entering into the promised land. And the very first thing he comes to is the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho, they're insurmountable. There's no way that he's going to be able to attack this fortified position. Matter of fact, I, I, I do a lot of reading on the Civil War, and I, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but 
basically in the back of my mind because I usually don't attack fortified positions. But for a charging army to attack a fortified position, you would need two-thirds more troops than the army that is defending that position. And the reason is because a lot of people are going to die as you go and you attack that position. This is before the advent of machine guns and all that other stuff. But nonetheless, you need to see that it was taking a risk to attack a fortified position. And here we're told, Joshua is told to go in and to subdue the land, to defeat the enemy. And the first thing that he sees is this enemy that seems so, well, insurmountable. And so what we need to see first of all, though, if you're still in Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 29. It says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea and by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. And then verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. In between 29 and 30, there's 40 years. There's a 40-year period. Now, why is there nothing mentioned in between that time? Because Israel did absolutely nothing that is worth mentioning. They did nothing that is faith-worthy. And so I look at the timeline of my life. Is there a 40-year gap? How big are the gaps there? How big are the gaps when I just kind of stayed static? How big are the gaps when I allowed fear to overwhelm me? How big are the gaps when I didn't move forward in faith? And I often wonder, whatever those gaps are, how they could have been filled if only so. Now, Moses had sent spies into the promised land. The thing about it is, God did allow it, but nowhere did he command them to send spies. And it turned out to be not such a good thing. The spies came back with a disturbing report. In Deuteronomy 128, they said, Where can we go? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakin there, these giants that are bigger than us. And the key about that verse is, their report, it was all true. It was all true. Every single word that is spoken there is true. Well, Another thing about it is God already told him it would be like that. But notice what Moses did and what Moses said, where Moses pointed them in Deuteronomy 1, 29 and 30. Then I said, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And so God says, yeah, that which I called you to do, where I have called you to go, it is bigger than you. It is a greater work than you're able to do, but the fact of the matter is I have called you to do it, and I'll clear the way for it. Now, where we need to take this today, just generally speaking, you need to take it into your marriage. You need to understand if God has called you to marry that person, and if you look on your wedding certificate, and if your name's there, and that other person's name there, look at that as the will of God regardless of what you may desire at this point. But God has called you to this marriage, and maybe at times it can seem insurmountable. But realize that the Lord will go before you. Realize that God will enable you, and he will knock those big walls down, those places of obstacles. Or maybe it's a child. Maybe it's in parenting, because that can be so overwhelming at times. I have four kids myself. They're all adults now, but man... If I could have run away from home, I would have ran away from home, but my wife would have tracked me down and drugged me back. I mean, raising kids, seriously, is the hardest, it's the biggest blessings, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. 
it, it, again, it can be so overwhelming. But as God has called me to do it, because see, all of my kids, they kind of look like me. And it's hard to deny that they're mine. So that being the case, that's what God had called me to do. And there's no doubt about that. And I need to be faithful in doing that. And at times it seemed like a big wall. But God, God went before me. And God goes before us. And God will enable us. And so it's by faith that I need to take the step in the Word of God, teaching and training them the Word of God, doing what God has called me to do. There are so many other things. You've got to properly educate them. There's no doubt about it. As I said before, sports were insurmountable in my life. Well, not insurmountable. They were, it was a priority. It was very good in my life. But it's got to be the priority of God's Word. And so take these things into your job. Take these things wherever it might be. So here's Israel. They're looking at this impossible situation. They all turn to Joshua. Have you seen the walls of Jericho? What are we going to do now? Okay, go and turn over to Joshua chapter 6. We'll be spending the majority of the time over there. Joshua chapter 6. Because as Joshua's got to make a decision on what they're going to do, Joshua turns to the word of the Lord. I turn to Judges chapter 6. I'm thinking, that's not it. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So they pulled within their fortifications. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall... And so when he says, See, I've given them into your hand. And Joshua's thinking, Huh? You know, the, the, how, how have you done that? I mean, you'd have to wonder. And so verse 3, God's telling him what he needs to do. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And the seventh priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Now it's one thing to hear that, and to think, okay, and to have faith, we're going to march around it once a day for six days, one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times, and then we're going to blow horns, and the walls are going to fall down. Okay, so, and if you're able to, you know, trust God for that, then that's fine, but he's got to go out and sell it, too. And see, that's a big part of faith is you receiving it the best you can. And again, it has faith, so you don't get all the details. But then you've got to go out and sell it, if you will. You go out and you witness it. And so what I have to do is, and it's how God teaches and trains us, as he directs us, as he shows us, as he reveals himself in our lives, we learn to trust on him and what he says he's going to do, he's going to do, and then we're able to share it with other people. And so see where the necessity for strength and courage in Joshua's life is? 
Because now he's got to go face a few million people and tell them what we're going to do. Joshua, how are we going to defeat this fortified position? We're going to march, and then we're going to yell, and the walls are going to fall. You know, that, that would be a pretty hard thing to sell. And so the people's response, well, in the end result, they held fast to faith in the midst of opposition. They held their tongues, and they simply moved their feet. Now, as they needed to keep quiet and go, and we need to see, well, it's the same thing that we need to do when God calls us. Why march? Why march? Because it's got to be this act of faith. God sent them out there every day. Now, what happens if they go for five days and they take a day off? I guarantee you the walls don't fall down. What if they go out there and they never encircle the city? The walls don't fall down. If they don't blow the trumpets or they don't yell, if they fall short of God's word, then we don't see the great victory come to pass. Now, why would it take seven days and 13 trips around the city? I think the first reason would be so that we would know grace. In every biblical occurrence of the number 13, there is a connection with rebellion, apostasy, deflection, corruption, disintegration, revolution, or some similar act. Now, the second reason, 13 times for them to realize that their plans would not work to overthrow the city, that their power to achieve victory in this situation, it was non-existence. They're facing, and God wants them to know and understand, this is an impossible, a human impossibility to be able to achieve victory here. But they're also understanding what God is able to do. Different situation, but in Second Chronicles 20.15 it says, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. This is what God has called them to do. Now that's a key. That's a key to understanding how faith works. It's based upon what God has called them to do. So you can't just go out and do this, you know, just haphazardly. It's all based upon what God has called me to do. Now, I know that God has called me to be a pastor, so by faith I put studies together, hoping that somebody shows up on a Sunday morning. Or, by faith, I continue to be the husband that I need to be, or the father, or the grandfather, or whatever it might be. Because I know that God has called me to those things, and there's other things that God has called me to, or I believe that God has called me to, that I just simply take these acts, or these steps of faith. And so, notice what they were being courageous about. The people at Jericho, they weren't coming out. Theirs was a superior defensive position. Again, it says Jericho was securely shut up. So there was not great military effort exerted on Israel's part, but really what we see here is just simple obedience to God. Now, most of you know the story. They went and did exactly what they were supposed to do. They walked around for those six days. On the seventh day, can you imagine? Okay, walls are coming down today. Now, God, remember, God uses mustard seed faith. If I put myself in Joshua, I'm not saying, okay, the walls are falling down. I'm thinking, I sure hope the walls fall down. And so they walk around once, twice, three times. They walk around seven times. They probably didn't even hear a rumbling. And okay, we walked around. Now, now we got to yell and, and blow. So the trumpets go off and they start yelling. And I would imagine they're just a slight, now this is just conjecture on my part but there had to be just that slight shaking, that rumbling, and then the walls came down. And great is their God. 
Great is our God. It's just like Moses when there was, we looked at it, I think, last week when there was the splitting of the Red Sea. He had to go down in front of everybody and he had to raise the staff over the sea. And I, I often wonder, put myself in his place as he's walking down. I sure hope this happens. But it's all God wants is a mustard seed faith. See, what's a mustard seed? The mustard seed is the smallest seed of a tree that will bear fruit. And God is saying, if you just give me that, that little bit, you'll see a tree come about and you'll see fruit produced. And that's what happened here. They just did what they were supposed to do. And as they did what they were supposed to do, then God did what he does. That's why we're reading about them here. Unfortunately, there's going to be another city, Ai. Ai was just some little city, just a few people there. And once again, they sent spies. Never worked well for them sending spies. It's because you're just supposed to move when God calls. But they sent spies, and the spy says, hey, it's a piece of cake. Matter of fact, you don't even need to send everybody. So they just sent partial people up there, and they were defeated, and people were killed. And you've got to be obedient to God's word as God has called you. So Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 should be one of the most relatable chapters in the Bible for the born-again believer. That we would know, that we would understand. Am I truly holding fast to faith? Well, holding fast to faith isn't living a perfect life because nobody's able to do that. But the people who hold fast to faith, they move as God calls. What has God called you to do? Are you courageous enough? Are you strong enough to truly ask God what do you want of me? What do you want? Have you spent time in prayer? Have you spent time fasting? God, what do you want of my life? That you would be open to his leading and that you would give God glory through your obedience. That's what these people did. And we're speaking of them thousands of years later just simply because of those simple acts of faith. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us this word and that you have given us, Lord, these examples of people who held fast to faith. And Father, I pray that, Lord, as you give us opportunities in our lives, that we would be found just as faithful. And so, Father, our, our Christianity is meant to be that which is lived in the forefront. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would overcome our fears, that we would overcome the world, our flesh, and the enemy, and that, Father, we would push forward to your higher calling in Christ Jesus. And as we do, Father, I pray that you would show us great things. And so, Father, I lift up those who are here this morning, Lord, just this time of the season. So many of us will be going into unsaved homes amongst unsaved friends and family. I pray, Father, that we would exhibit our faith in the midst of that. I pray, Father, that we would be strong and that we would be courageous based upon, Lord, who you have called us to be. And that, Father, we would see great things come to pass. So once more, Lord, I just thank you for our church. Thank you for the gift that it is. I thank you, Father, for one another. That, Lord, we would be strengthened through one another's presence in this place. And that, Lord, just as you have given us a great gift of a Savior, that, Lord, we would give back to you this great gift of faith. And so, Lord, just bless us. Spirit, come upon us. Use us to your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Will you all stand, please?